Hey everyone, this is Justin Lin. This is the commentary track for F9. And as you can see here, I think for people that are maybe aficionados of logos, this is one of the older Universal logos. It was a very conscious choice. I, I went back and looked at all the motion logos. And by the way, this is growing up as a kid, the Universal one was my favorite. And the choice of going with an older logo was because I wanted it to sync up with this quote unquote, the flashback to start. I wanted the point of view to start with the uh, past timeline. I felt like, you know, when we were prepping this, we kept talking about these as the flashbacks and, and it definitely is, but I was really hoping that for the viewing experience, because you're being thrust into this time and place, I wanted this to be the starting point for the film. We shot this in Irwindale, California. It's really interesting because even on films with huge budgets like this one, still you never have enough money. You know, we shot most of our film in the UK and so to get back to LA and shoot was definitely something that we had to keep fighting for budgetarily. And it was something that I felt was important that we get to shoot. For me growing up, having shot in LA, just the sunlight and just the feel of it. And this is where it all started. And it was very important to get back and shoot in Southern California. Linda. The Jack, the young Dom, Vinnie Bennett and Finn Cole, J.D. Pardo, they were amazing. I think a lot of times shooting these sequences, it's so hard and that was one of the big challenges of this film. Obviously, Vin Diesel is Dominic Toretto and to be able to find someone that can in many ways embody Dom Toretto, but at the same time, bring something that is original and that is new to the character. I just thought Vinny did an amazing job. It's one of those things where I got so excited when, uh, you know, one day I woke up and I, I realized there's more to, for us to explore, you know, the mythology of Dom and his family. But at the same time, I remember I was, I felt like there was something that was lacking. And, you know, I felt like the exploration wasn't enough. And it took another, I think, couple of weeks just, just really brainstorming that the big idea came, which is to explore this theme of family, but in more of a bloodline, you know, way. And it was about 12 hours of just excitement. And I was so kind of inspired that this would be the new chapter. But then after those 12 hours, I wake up and I'm, then it was just total fear because it's like, well, first of all, can we pull this off? And then if we can, part of pulling it off is that we need to find an amazing cast to be able to really do these sequences justice. And so it became this global kind of search for the actors. And I have to say, I, I felt like our casting team, everybody was just amazing. I mean, we, we looked everywhere and, and Vinny is from 
New Zealand. And it's amazing to basically go all around the world and to be able to find our young Dom in New Zealand. The other thing that really was scary was, of course, Jacob. It was an exciting idea, but then, you know, I didn't know if we would be able to find anybody to be able to pull that off. You know, the missing, you know, Toretto, the Toretto that has existed this whole time, but in eight movies, no one's ever mentioned it. Um, it wasn't until I met John Cena and within the first 30 seconds, I was able to breathe, you know, um, and so... This whole process actually felt very organic. I think sometimes, you know, you're doing sequels, you're bringing back a lot of the same cast, and it's great because you get to grow together, you know, you're not alone. But then when some big idea comes along and you're bringing new elements, that is also the most challenging thing, but also the most exciting aspect of that journey. And... For some reason, I think being away for a couple movies and then coming back, it felt really organic. It felt like we were building a film from ground up again on all levels. You know, I think the idea of uh, exploring the mythology and introducing New Brother, you know, when it came to me, Vin was the first person I called. And I drove to his house, we talked about it, and I could tell we both were very excited for this new chapter. And at the same time, this was going to be the first film of, you know, our final chapter in the saga. And that the final chapter of saga is something we've been talking about for about 10 years. So it was an amazing kind of earned moment where we were able to sit and just talk like we've always done, but really have a sense of tone and also our purpose Come in peace. We come in peace. It's me. I have to give Universal and Vin so much credit because when I left after Fast Six, I really thought that was it and I, I was going to move on and do other things. But, you know, everybody was always so open and they always kind of checked in to see if there's anything brewing and talking fast. So I, even though I was gone, I never felt like I was fully away, you know, and uh, even when I was shooting uh, Star Trek Beyond, I remember Vin calling me and I was in the cutting room and we started talking about Dom for a couple hours. And I remember thinking, hey, Vin, I'm, I'm out. I, I'm not doing this anymore. But I think Vin is always kind of a couple steps ahead of me. And so he, I think he knew at some point we were going to reconnect. And so, again, it was all the seeds that were planted. It felt very organic and I didn't want to come back unless it was something new. It was something that for us to be able to, to explore. And I think this idea of being able to go back and explore the mythology and the past so these characters and this franchise can keep moving forward was very exciting to me. Why just us? He caught Cypher. But there was a mid-air attack and she was extracted. It seems his plane crashed somewhere here over the northwest region of Monte Quinto. If Mr. Nobody so You know, when I came back, it was it was really interesting. 
when I first uh, met with Natalie because, you know, Ramsey is a character that showed up in Fast 7, but it was a character that we've been talking about since Fast 5. And so it was really surreal to be, you know, talking to her about a character that we were talking about years ago. And then when I left, you know, the character came to life and then I, I was meeting back up with her, developed already. So it definitely, um, there were moments like that that was really odd, but interesting, you know. Cypher and Queenie were two other characters that kind of preceded me. And it was a lot of fun to be able to kind of work with Charlize and Helen to keep evolving it in this new chapter. Hey, little guy, I have a gift for you. Your father gave this to me. Now I'm going to give it to you. It's very special. Take care of it. And here you see little Brian, and it, it is amazing, you know, that I, I think doing these big action movies, people talk about the stunts and everything. And to me, those are exciting to design, to shoot. But, you know, usually when we're shooting those sequences, it's been, you know, eight to 14 months of prep, hundreds of meetings with every department to, to have it come to life. This isn't who we are. And I, I'll tell you, I think the scariest thing for me making this movie was actually the scenes with little Brian. Because showing up with this three-year-old and trying to hopefully create an environment where he can... Uh, <laughs> feel present, feel Dominic Toretto as his father, Letty as his mother. You know, that to me was the most challenging thing. And I think just even getting him to go to sleep there, I remember sitting there, I think that was probably take 21. And I, you know, of course, it's not the kid's fault, but it's just sitting there with the boom and we have a dolly going in. Um, he was amazing. It, it was actually twin brothers, and they were so great. And, and Vin was amazing with them. You know, I think being a father, he knew that, you know, he needed to make sure he spent some time with them. So for the first week while we are shooting this, you know, Vin wasn't in his trailer. He was just hanging out with the boys. So here we're, we're dealing with the cross that basically connects Jacob to Han to Dom. It's kind of an intersection of so many of our different threads. And one day I hope we're going to have the real estate to, to fully explain it. But it's pretty complicated. It was exciting to actually come up with it. But it's one of those things where we commit to it. And I hope one day we'll, we'll be able to fully explore that, that chapter in the Fast Saga. I would love to see my nephew just a little bit more often than say. And this is a scene here with Jordana. This is her first scene back, both in the film, but also, you know, shooting wise. It was pretty emotional. You know, I came up with Jordana even outside Fast. So to be able to be on this journey with her. And then when I left, she did Fast 7 and that was it. And so to be able to be back together, uh, it, meant, it, it meant a lot. And to be able to find a, a storyline where she comes back organically that was even more of a bonus. Life would have been like if it was alive. You'd be 
be very different. Unfortunately, this is a scene that I ultimately cut, even though I really liked it. It went back and forth saying in the cut and I took it out. Ultimately, I felt like for the theatrical version, you know, we didn't need it. It was just, it, you know, selfishly, it was just nice to be able to kind of work those small scenes with Vin and, and Jordana. And here we're about to enter our first huge action sequence, which is this fictional place, Monte Quinto. It's supposed to take place in Central America, but when, you know, when I went on our uh, global scouting tour, we stopped at Phuket in Thailand. And when I saw the geography and all those, uh, the you know, I, I don't know, actually, I still, I asked people what those things are called and nobody could give me an answer. You know, the buttes that are coming out of the, the water. So it was just amazing. And I think part of doing these fast movies sometimes is to explore the world and hopefully be able to integrate that and bring it to and share it with the audience. So I think having, you know, going on that scout and loving kind of the visuals of Phuket, Thailand, I felt like it, it was kind of our perfect place to shoot our fictional Monte Quinto. What was also amazing for me was on the scout, I didn't realize the kind of rich cinematic history of Thailand. You know, until recently, they were they were producing their own, you know, films at a rate that I think it was like hundreds a year. It was amazing. So to be able to kind of uh, hook up with that crew in Thailand and be part of that kind of rich cinematic history, it, it really meant a lot. And I think you could feel it when we were shooting in Thailand because, you know, they had their, they really were, it was an amazing crew. And that's one of the perks of shooting these films uh, is to be able to kind of go into different cultures and hopefully not be just tourists, but to be able to truly kind of work with them and getting to know, you know, how they work and having that shared experience. The source of the SOS signal is coming from inside this thing. Somebody wanted in. The plane must have gone down before they could cut through. Or it was sent down on purpose to stop them. Yeah, well, their mistake was trying to cut into And here we're, we're about to introduce our MacGuffin for the film. And it's, you know, this is probably, I would say, for the Fast franchise, I think that in Fast 6 is when we started kind of introducing these kind of world-ending devices. I was torn. I was going back and forth on if we were going to do this or not. And ultimately, you know, I, I think that was one of the challenges coming back to do Fast 9. I don't think we make these films in a vacuum. And, you know, I think there are a lot of things about coming back that I had to respect and, and part of it is you know since I've been gone it's kind of gone a lot more kind of sci-fi and I, I felt like ultimately if I just kind of ignored that that it just wouldn't be respectful to you know the the films that I wasn't part of so it was a long process in the writing phase when I first came back I didn't want to have a world ending device but when we were working on it it felt like it was almost a, a, such a rebuke to the other films, I didn't want that. I, I wanted the kind of spirit of this film to to always embrace 
the chapters prior and whether it's to correct something that's wrong or to build on something I never wanted to be kind of reactionary because I think sometimes you know I think having made movies you know TV shows and stuff I see a lot of instances where filmmakers become very kind of reactive and, and they take it personally and I think the films and the shows sometimes suffer for it and I felt like it was important to try to be positive and yes you know I think one of the big reasons to come back and, and to correct is it we'll talk about later which is the justice for Han but at the same time you know I wanted to always stay positive to everything and that led to the whole Aries device. So anyway, it was a long way to explain it, but it was months and months of my life in our writing process of deciding if we were going to do it or not. Ultimately, I, I feel like we needed it. It's a bit of a the culmination of something that we kind of started on six and it kind of had continued. But I think this is probably it for our franchise. And as we're going to the, the final chapter, we're going to be exploring kind of our characters through other elements. about to go into to the landmine sequence and I have to say I, I think the one thing that really surprised me when we first went into the scouting for Thailand was how much of you know the jungle of Thailand has kind of disappeared this is only a small stretch of private land that we were able to find that we could shoot in most of the the land has become palm plantations I think they're just trying to produce palm oil for the world you know, I think growing up and, and even just kind of reading about Thailand, I was really excited to kind of explore the jungle aspect. And uh, at least in southern Thailand, a lot of that has been, is gone. Like even here, this is actually, you can see the small palms being planted and grown and they were everywhere. was great about the sequence I really wanted to kind of start with the feel of just kind of this tactile action you know something that's practical what better than to like start blowing stuff up and, and the landmine sequence it is a very conscious effort to kind of rebuild I think the the tone of this franchise and again I, I feel like just as a movie fan CG now is part of so much of these uh, tent poles and I'm not saying that we don't do that ourselves. I mean, I like to think that we can create a, a have our cake and eat it too scenario. It was just that I think as a filmmaker, there's something really exhilarating and visceral about practical effects. And, you know, to me, that's always important. And it's especially for the Fast franchise. And, and 
especially on this one, I wanted to make sure that no matter what, even the most outlandish action beats, we always make sure that we shoot it practically first. Like even this shot right here, that actually that truck going over and blowing up, we shot practically and it became reference for us. And here with, with Roman hanging upside down, we had to build this contraption with the truck on vertical rails. And it's a small beat, but it took us three days, which is a lot to be able to even accomplish this. But ultimately, I think you could feel the difference because we shot it practically, you know, it, it, the rocks and everything we had to build and so that it could be safe for Tyrese to be hanging from that truck. This is kind of the beat two of this invincible thread that we were exploring. I think, you know, maybe being away from fast, I was really kind of drawn and excited for this kind of existential thread for Roman and Tej and, and Ramsey. It is something that I think a lot of times with these big action tent poles, you know, the, the characters, they obviously escape death. And I, I felt like it was time for us to at least hopefully kind of acknowledge it and explore it in a, in a fun way. Wait, okay, I think I found us another way out. Two miles to what looks like a bridge across the border. Good, the sooner we get out of here, the better. This shot here was a really complicated shot. I mean, we shot, we actually had, I think it was almost like three continents worth of work just to get that shot in shooting that practically and then being able to basically map that and then have Michelle do it and we shot that in London. It's amazing how filmmaking has become so global. And this jump too, it was something that basically was shot in Thailand. We shot again in London practically and then putting uh, Michelle on wires. So here is the big kind of first time where the brothers see each other. Getting that Mustang to, to drift in was, was definitely a challenge. And those doors, <laughs> I realized the doors didn't quite match. So we actually had to bend it 90 degrees you don't notice it, but a lot of times the shots that I want it to have, the cars don't quite have the right angles. But again, I, I feel I have the support of this amazing crew and, and we always figure it out. And sometimes it's just a uh, 50 degree shift in something that, that's been kind of built in. So we're about to kind of head into this kind of crazy sequence that's kind of evolved from something that was very practical 
to something that's going to be a bit more outlandish. And hopefully we've earned this. This is something that we actually scouted on many, so many of these aerial scouts trying to find the, the right two, I guess, buttes or islands so we can shoot this. And Peter Chang, our VFX supervisor, he was on it so much and I really was very adamant on making sure that we found the right practical ones. I remember we circled around it so much and Peter actually had to get off to because he, he, he was nauseous and he was throwing up on one of these buttes. we have the helicopter the brother mustang against dodge charger you know it, it's something that i think people who you know who love cars they notice that it's it's mustang versus charger and we had a lot of fun in the writing process developing it i think in the uh, flashbacks later on you'll see that jacob's also driving a mustang and it's something that we actually wrote way more than we needed to and I hope one day we're going to be able to explore that, whether in, in feature or maybe in other mediums, because it is really amazing to sometimes doing these films to have the, uh, the environment to just explore. And on this one, for some reason, our script was really long compared to the other ones. At one point, we were approaching almost 200 pages, uh, which is insane. But it was just fun to be writing and just to be free. And, and ultimately we were able to kind of bring it down. Where's the bridge? No, 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 don't. I think a lot of people ask, you know, this must be all CG. It actually is a combination. We actually, every beat that you see here was accounted for, like the launch of the car, even the swing, you know, we had a crane, it was in the UK actually, to swing it. It kind of acted as reference for us in making sure that, you know, everything we did, it was kind of accounted for, so we can have the proper conversations. Well, that was new. This is a Stasiak, and there's a Japanese antacid. It happened when I was on a trip in Japan, and I love how they always uh, have visuals to sell all their products. But this thing is a mess. The headlines out there, secret spy plane crashes in a hospital. This was such a treat to be able to bring Shea back, and uh, we had a lot of fun with Stasiak's nose. and. You know, we went through, we tracked it from Fast 4 when he gets slammed by Brian O'Connor and again in Fast 6. And so Shay showed up uh, on the day and we just kept fudging it. And uh, it was a really fun nod to his relationship and the connection to Brian O'Connor. And that's something that we were very conscious of, you know, the spirit of, of Brian, who the character is still obviously alive and thriving in this universe. But, you know, I, I felt like trying to make sure that you know we always kind of honor things that's happened and so that we can kind of embrace it for for the narrative for people that really you know 
love the, the franchise that we never shortchange any of the things. So it was a lot of fun. It, it was like multiple meetings about his uh, broken nose and how, how much we were going to do it. Brother? You got a brother who also happens to be some kind of super spy with his own private army who drives literally... This is a really interesting moment between Dom and, and Letty, you know, and it is one of those things that I felt like, you know, working with Michelle and Vin on it, it was such a great process, you know, because as you can see, there's not a lot of real estate for, for anything. So to be able to get everybody in those moments to track it and to feel it without us really kind of shining a crazy spotlight on it. And that's always the biggest challenge for these films because, you know, especially Fast 9, I, I feel like there's three movies jam into one, right? You have the brother thread, you have the, the main thread, and then you have the Han thread. And the biggest challenge of making this film really was real estate. And, you know, I have to say one of the reasons why I ultimately felt like I was you know, done with the franchise was that, you know, we, we've never been able to have a full draft of the script when we start shooting. And that's part of the kind of process that we've kind of developed. And I'm not complaining. It's just, it's okay. It's just the way we always end up doing it. And so I felt like I wanted to make sure that for the first time we had a uh, script fully done and we were able to do that on this one. And, and the funny thing is that we ended up kind of overshooting it and it was much longer, but I think you can feel that, you know, this film probably, you know, had a lot more, but it was always about condensing and making sure that we didn't take any beat for granted. What is that? Get out of here. Go. So a man can't pay his last respects. That's what that is. No, no, not you. You're the one that killed him. No, racing killed him. Look, he knew that I was going to pit him into the wall. He knew that. Now, I don't know if he dropped gear. Here's Jim Perrick playing Linder. Uh, it was great to kind of work with him again. His first job as an actor was actually on Annapolis, and we worked on together. So it was, it's always great to be able to meet back up with actors or crew through the years. And um, he was kind of perfect Linder. He was great. This obviously is one of the most pivotal moments in the fast lore. Man, what is it with you? And I know that in the the first fast film when in the garage with Dom and Brian, Dom was talking about how he took that wrench and he just kept beating Linder until his arms went numb. And it was a struggle because it was great in that moment when he said it. And here, when, when we were working on it, we actually did all these tests. And, uh, you know, with that hit with that wrench, if you just did it more than, you know, a couple of times, that the, the, the skull is going to crack, you know? And so wanted to make sure that we honor what Dom was sharing with Brian. But at the same time, I think in that moment, it was important to that we were capturing it through Jacob's point of view. But that was also... One of the things that we had so many discussions on, and ultimately, I felt like, you know, sometimes in life, we're all a little bit get stuck into the moment, and we're not the most reliable narrators. Even though there's no intent to deceive, we're the protagonists in our own stories. And I think Dom's mind, that's what happened. But I think one of the ways that we were able to kind of hopefully honor that moment, but at the same time, 
make it feel like it's not out of this world where he's beating Linda, you know, countless times with the wrench was to go to Jacob's point of view, which is what we needed in that moment for this film. Did she say anything? Nope. Uh, you know, I look at her and I feel creeped out. Sort of turned on at the same time. Is that weird? Nice operation. You snatched me off, Mr. Nobody's playing midair without a scratch, and you took him down. And here we have our scene with Cypher. Again, it was such a honor and treat to be able to work with Charlize. And this is a character that obviously was in eight. And she was so gracious and open, you know. I, I remember sitting down with her and talking about the character. And I think she was excited to keep kind of evolving it. So, you know, I, I remember asking her, you know, is there anything in eight that you built? that I need to be aware of. And, and she was like, no, I, I, I you know, it, it's the basic, let's go back and, and, and rebuild this. And I had such a great time with her just talking. And she is so specific about every beat, you know? And, and I love that, you know, in this scene, even though she is this character that's stuck, it's been captured, stuck in the box. And I wanted to also really make sure that it's not one of these diabolical scenes where she's already gotten way out. I wanted the experience for the audience uh, in real time with Cypher is to see how she could figure her way out. I need you to find out which one. So here, she does an amazing job of just kind of scoping out all the players, right? There's Jacob, there's Otto, and there's Sue. And even though I, it's probably not like clear, it's not scripted, this idea of her constantly testing and trying to figure out what is her, how is she going to get out starts here. And uh, I just had such a great time working with her on the day, but also in the cutting room because I can see her. Uh, and that's something that we planned, you know, basically calculating, like, let's test Jacob out. Let's go through, let's push those buttons. But the, uh, a little bit of the uh, curveball is actually she finds a weak point in Otto. And, you know, I think if you watch this film multiple times, you'll really get a sense. And if you really watch her, she's been, you know, you can see her wheels turning. And that's, I think that's the fun of, I think, this character. And I think um, this is also a new element for us in this franchise. Finding the two halves of Project Ares is the easy part. Adding your brother Dom to the mix, you don't have a chance. Plans are in motion. There's a line in there where she basically is pointing out about Jacob's jawline, the, the Nordic strain, and um, it was important that, that we put it in there. I know that a lot of people are saying, well, how could John Cena be Vin Diesel's brother, you know? And that's something that we talked about because John was by far, I mean, I again, I felt just so lucky to have him join us. But at the same time, I think there's a complicated kind of history for the Toretto's. And that's something that that one line is giving you a little bit of a glimpse into the kind of origin story of the Toretto family. I'm not going to spoil it here because I'm hoping, hoping that in the next few years, 
we're going to be able to tell that story. But it all started with, you know, I, I had a whole backstory. It got condensed down to that one line. But I, I am so excited for that one line because it's going to potentially get unlocked and, and we're going to be able to hopefully tell more stories to explore that line. Whoever Jacob has become, or whatever he's up to, it's on me. This is amazing here. I, I, this is like a vulnerable Dom that I have never seen, you know, in any of the Fast films that I've been a part of. But at the same time, it's a check-in with uh, Dom and Letty. You know, I think their trust has been a little bit broken in the sense that she thought he showed up to the airport to support her, but then she realized she was there for because of the discovery of Jacob. Thank you. I know what a rotary dial phone is. Okay. Well, what's Again the here, this is a this is a bonus scene between Ramsey and Chris. It's amazing. You know, I, I don't feel that old, but you know, I think when I first sat down with Natalie, she definitely is obviously very intelligent and she knows, you know, she's a quick study. But I, I it was very clear to, to me that she was of another generation, you know, and so that was kind of the uh, the inspiration for for all of this. And we had a lot of fun playing with it. And I, I am kind of bummed. There's a couple scenes in this sequence that I went back and forth on for the final cut. And it was actually funny because, you know, I actually, <laughs> as we were working on the extended cut, I was compelled to put, you know, the scene back into the final version. But, you know, it, I never had that happen. And I think that's the testament to, I think, this cut because, you know, a lot of times we cut scenes because the performance or something, you know, it just feels like it's a double beat. I think on this film, I didn't have any problem. We just, we really showed up every day and there was always a challenge. You know, sequences like this where it's a connection between these characters and I think the humor comes from their relationship. And this is very different than obviously like, like an action scene, but there's always a very fresh and new challenge for us. And the cast was amazing. Everyone showed up you know, just to play and to really kind of maximize the exploration of the day. And that, you know, that, that is very rare. And so I was grateful to really be able to kind of reconnect with everybody. And in a way, we've all kind of grown and, and to be able to, you know, have these scenes where not only do you see the evolution of these characters, but also for me behind the camera to see the growth of our, you know, of our actors. And that, that was very gratifying. Take your dumbass jacket with you, man. Pretty impressive driving out there. You miss the old life. Do you? Every day. Guys. Ultimately, it was an interesting scene because I like to edit as we go, and I knew that the scene with uh, Dom and Letty at the farm was probably not going to be it. And I remember going to Jordana and saying, this is going to be the scene. 
And I think for her, she did such a great job of kind of taking that note and in a way, take charge of the scene. You know, I think people are so used to Dom being the patriarch and being the decision maker. Here, you have Mia and Letty saying, no, we're part of this family and we have a say. And uh, I think it was a very powerful scene. And also it was done in, not in a confrontational way. You know, it, it was done in a very empowered way. And I had a lot of meetings with, with Jordana and Michelle about the tone of that. And so it was amazing on the day how when they showed up, because the, the last thing I wanted was to make it feel like it was them confronting Dom in a way that was not positive for, for their relationship. Guys! Guys! Get over here. You gotta come see this. Don't ever say Roman ain't... This is actually the scene that I went back and forth on. Yeah. It was such a fun scene to shoot. And, and it answers, in a way, answers a lot of questions on, like, how can they afford all their transportation, all their cars? And it was, a, it was fun to be able to kind of explore Mr. Nobody's hideout, the unsanctioned hideout. But it just felt like ultimately, I, last minute, I think on the uh, 11th hour, it didn't make the cut because it was taking away from the kind of narrative thrust for the film. So, but I'm glad the extended cut exists because it still, it works really well and, and you can see the chemistry between our characters. And I'm just so happy that it actually exists in the world. Say hello to Project Ares. What is it? It's what we got from Mr. Nobody's plane, or at least part of it. Ares was designed to override and assimilate anything that runs on code. Any computer, anywhere. If it operates on zeros and ones, it's vulnerable. Ares can own it. It can weaponize anything. Someone could burn your house down with your refrigerator if they wanted to. Oh, so now my refrigerator's gonna kill me? It could be made to. How about my George Foreman grill or foot massager? <laughs> it is interesting. This is, you know... These are always the toughest scenes to shoot because they're just exposition scenes about the MacGuffin. And the MacGuffin is the device that is usually kind of artificially driving our characters. And what I think became really interesting in the writing of it, we had a bit of a Trojan horse. Here you're seeing Ramsey basically setting up our third act with our MacGuffin. And just when you think the scene is going to be just one of those scenes where all, all this is about information, there's a bit of a sucker punch, which is the discovery of Han in, in Mr. Nobody's files. It was one of those nice finds in the writing process, and it ultimately, I think, made a lot more interesting also for the actors. You know, I mean, these scenes when we shoot, it's not in real time, obviously. We have, you know, coverage and... It takes us like a day and a half, I think just two days just to shoot the scene. You know, I can tell that on the day when we were shooting, when the Han image came up, everybody knew that the scene was much more than just an exposition scene. You could see it right here with the close-up dolly in on Vin. That's exactly what I said. So you're saying Han's death is connected to all of this? He has to have something to do with it. Again, I think these scenes that usually are kind of there for functional plot reasons, it became these kind of intersection emotionally for all our characters. 
about this today, huh, Doc? Mexico. And here's the postcard again. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more intel on that. You know, this goes all the way back when I first met Vin. You know, this is for Tokyo Drift for his final scene. And I didn't know him. I had heard that there's no way he was coming back to the franchise. And I was lucky enough to get a meeting with him. And we were at his house by his pool and we were talking. And I think we, at one point, we just connected on the mythology and the family of Dom. And I was talking to him about how, in my mind, Dom had met Han in either Mexico or, or Central America. And I, I had kind of mapped out, you know, the, uh, the connection between them, that Han, in a way, was on the run and Dom was on the run. You know, I had mentioned this town in Mexico, Guanajuato, and uh, that conversation, 2005, led all the way to the postcard. And if you notice on the postcard, the, the, the cross on that church is the same cross that Dom and Jacob, they're wearing. So it's the Toretto cross. So there's a lot of meaning to that. And th there's a whole backstory to that, that that we've been talking about for years. And this is the first time that's being kind of shared. It's done as a connective tissue beat. But I could tell you, there's a potential down the road for us to fully explain and explore that thread of the mythology. Here we're in the uh, Young Dom sequence and it was to me, it was so much fun kind of finding the right music of the era, you know? And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I run into fans and, and they talk, it's amazing. You know, you could see when certain fans' engagement was on Fast One. There's actually a section of the fan base that started kind of loving Fast on Tokyo Drift. And obviously now, you know, that's been 15 years and people would use words like... um that's a classic, you know, and I thought, wow, God, you know, it, it has been a while. But in many ways, you know, of the time, the music choices is a challenge because it's not like we, you know, we go and pick the, the best of, you know, from the music sound library. We're actually creating music of the moment. And so to be able to kind of go back and work on these uh, flashback sequences that was a luxury of being able to really listen to all the music of the era and find the two piece of music that really, for me, define not only, you know, these moments for our characters, but, but to really able to capture and kind of honor that era. Come on, Dom. You don't want to race me and Buddy's old Charger. No, it won't even be close. My Mustang, with all the mods that I put in it, Cardo make the driver. These others go. And this again, there were a lot more pages written about this young Dom and, and Jacob chapter that, you know, my hope is to one day to be able to share it with everybody. It was so again, it was so gratifying to be able to to write that. And it, it's always, to me, it's always better to have more than less because having those extra pages and scenes, it really kind of helped inform me 
and also the actors so that they're not just showing up and doing what's on page. You know, they're able to either read or talk to me about their world, that era. And so I, I really do think that the challenge to Finn and, and to Vinny is to be able to understand and thrive and live in that world so that, you know, they're just not showing up doing these scenes to kind of update and tell the audience what's happening in their relationship. And they did an amazing job. And, and this is one of our last scenes that I shot with them. And I remember sitting there in that corner as we were waiting for the lighting and, and, and we were just, we continued to talk about their relationship outside of what was scripted. And I could see them just kind of really kind of absorbing that and taking that in. You know, I remember Finn comes from a family, he has siblings, and he was really channeling a lot of that in this race. And, you know, when we do these films, these driving scenes are the most artificial feeling constructed because they're in a green screen and, you know, we're putting them casters and we're pushing them around. It, it's very awkward. And so for them to really kind of get in that headspace where it's not about the race, you know, this is this race is about the relationship, about this little brother, you know, at the core of it is that he's never gonna be able to catch his older brother you know that's the that's the basis and the essence of this race and on top of that we built kind of this kind of layered this family secret and ultimately it's this poor kid being crushed by the pressure of you know the secret that he's promised his dad that he was going to keep but on top of that is having this brother that is the spotlight of the family and I just thought Finn was able to like really hone into that and capture that and on the day to really deliver that in such an amazing way in the most uncomfortable and awkward of, you know, setups. Too soon. It was also great to be able to shoot. This is on the 4th Street Bridge. I was bummed because having kind of shot in LA, the 6th Street Bridge was, you know, was my favorite. You know, I, we shot Tokyo Drift underneath that bridge. It actually got taken down. And so, you know, it, it's sad to see all these kind of iconic LA kind of structures, you know. I think just with time, they're gonna get replaced. So it was great to be able to at least capture the 4th Street Bridge on film. Here's Dom going back. And it, it, it's funny because I think the fans will joke about crossover franchises, you know, and they're like, can Fast cross with Back to the Future? I don't know why. <laughs> it's always fun when they have all these like suggestions for us. In many ways, I feel like, yeah, we've kind of done the time travel thing, you know? Like, it's been part of our franchise. It started in Fast 4, and uh, it continues. And here, we, we structurally, we are actually time traveling. We're going, uh, we have two different timelines. Can't help you. This is one of those days, you know, as a filmmaker, where I love Michael Rooker. 
I was such a big fan. We casted him. And then I remember showing up on set and it was just like, I felt like a 12 year old. And the uh, first time I saw him was in this film, uh, Mississippi Burning. And he played this like KKK member and it scared the shit out of me as a kid, you know? <laughs> and, and I knew that it was Michael Rooker and he's a great actor. And when I showed up on set, I was so scared. It was like this crazy, just like something in me was back and I was in Mississippi and he was that character. But luckily it only lasted like a minute because he's also just the most gracious, nicest person. He came in and just gave me this big hug and I was like, okay, great, this is great. And we had a, we had a great day kind of just shooting the scene. And I think a lot of times with Vin, we we have this great process of you know making sure that scenes like this, we have ample time, and so we had a day set aside for the scene, and we just started you know with the what was scripted, and then we just started exploring moments, and this was tough I have to say because Dom is there really for plot purposes to try to get his next piece of information, but you know, I think there's a lot of kind of uh, hurt and guilt. And also frustration, I think, between these characters. And Vin was bringing a lot more to kind of this reverential sense of his past that we kept calibrating. And ultimately, I think we were able to kind of find it. But it was it was definitely one of those discovery scenes where we just had two amazing actors on set and we just went at it. And it was exhausting. I, I would say that scene, that buddy scene, to me, is probably the most exhausting scene for me physically just going through it, the whole exploration of emotion between them. Sounds old shop. And here's another scene that, that I ultimately had to take out, and I was bummed. I mean, this... Uh, this car is the car that Sean wrecks in Tokyo Drift. And then they ultimately take the engine of that car and put it in the Mustang for the third act. And I remember when I wrote it, Clayton, our producer, he, he was like, wait a minute, you want that car? And we're sitting there in London on the set. And I said, yeah, we got to get the exact same car. And so they had to basically find it. I think they ultimately had to ship it. Um, it was a big deal. It was a big deal to get that car there we had to paint it and it was a uh, it was it was a lot of time revisiting Khan's garage i think sometimes i have to remind myself just because it was really hard logistically to get the scene doesn't mean i should just it should be in the movie and i still love the scene i love the connection to giselle but it ultimately it was just one of those things where scenes to clarify sometimes ends up complicating you know and so I ultimately took it out of the final cut. This scene here in Cologne it was such a treat, you know, because it was a very much a reunion for me and for all of us with, with Lucas, Jason, Bao, and Sung showed up that day too. And it was just, uh, you know, this is where it all started for me. And it, it was interesting. I was, I think I was walking to set and I, I saw them connecting 
like really connecting as people. And it was amazing. It was this kind of profound moment because in 05, we were just a bunch of kids, you know, for me, it was kind of like, uh, it was, it was like, I had just finished a credit card movie and, you know, we were trying to make a Fast and Furious movie and, and they were just kids. And now they were all talking about their family and their kids and just kind of bringing back these moments from 2005. Did I hear that right? You a runner and you afraid of flying? Winky? Here's this moment between Roman Tej and the boys I love. I have to say, as a kid, I always love it when when characters of from the same like universe that somehow maybe are in different shows when they meet back up. And it really uh it's not one of those things even in writing that I was that conscious of, but when on the day seeing these characters meeting for the first time was great. And then here's the, the, the reveal of the Fiero. Um, Fiero is um, this kind of, uh, kind of, I guess like it was a sports car. I was big when I was in junior high. Uh, and and uh, I had this uh, history teacher, Miss Grant. She would pull up every morning in her red Fiero. And, you know, I have to admit, had a crush on uh, Miss Grant. I think a lot of boys did. And that Fiero made her look so cool. And so when we were thinking about finding a vehicle for this, I have to say I give Miss Grant a lot of credit. It wasn't actually her that like inspired this moment. And it was just, I remember talking to my friends about Miss Grant. This is probably like a couple of years before. And it was the Red Fiero was the thing that we all talked about. And then when, when I was talking to the NASA rocket scientists about how can we get to, you know, not necessarily space, but the outer atmosphere. They talked about obviously weight and fuel. And the more we talked about it, the more it was evident that we needed something light to, as our starting off point. And it was that moment of, oh, Miss Grant's Red Fiero could be the car that takes us into space. So it's one of those fun moments of just kind of reconnecting with uh, my childhood friends and just happy accident in trying to kind of figure out how to how to get, you know, to this kind of crazy idea and fast, but hopefully do it in a way that is kind of at least uh, grounded in, in science as our starting off point. Who's Dominic Toretto? This is one of my favorite scenes in the film. It took a long time in the kind of the writing of it. And I had some really kind of deep and amazing conversation with Michelle and Jordana on it. You know, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of articles about, you know, the... Yeah, I think Michelle was very adamant and very vocal about the treatment of the female characters in the franchise. And this is, again, one of those things that was really weird for me because when I was kind of part of the Fast franchise, I've always felt like, you know, Letty, Mia, Giselle, you know, Elena, a lot of our female characters was so, 
I had such a great time kind of crafting it with the actors and, and kind of building the characters. But I think for whatever reason, since I was gone, I actually, to this day, I don't know what happened. But when I came back, there was, she was really um, upset and uh, totally justified, you know. And for me, you know, I've had conversations with people that's seen the film going, oh, so it must have been a really tough conversation with like Michelle and all the female cast. And and I was like, no, I, we never really had those conversations. You know, I, I always felt like I love these characters. And to be totally honest, I felt like they were really underserved, you know. And so it really was just one of those things that it was very organic, you know, to come back. I love these characters and I want to make sure that, you know, all our characters are being really kind of loved and, and supported. And so it became very natural. So, you know, this scene, though, in a big action movie where you have two characters that were able to kind of sit down and really kind of get a state of where they are as human beings, um, that, that was definitely one of the kind of the, the gifts of being able to kind of reconnect. Here, this is a really fun sequence with uh, Queenie that's coming up. And I would kind of point to this scene as kind of the kind of growth and evolution of our franchise. I think that a lot of times when we shoot these scenes, you're showing up on the day and you're trying to find the scene. And what Helen did that was amazing was that, you know, we rehearsed it and she was, she was so on point that it really kind of allowed the kind of camera work to kind of complement everything that's happening between the characters, you know? And I think as we are growing as a franchise, one of the things I, I love doing is to not edit, is to create these moments where our characters are just living in that moment and the camera is there with them. When are they gonna learn? Some birds can't be caged. Are you looking for one of my sons? Not tonight. This was a great night in London where, you know, when she showed up, she really set the tone. And Vin was amazing. And at that moment during the rehearsal, I knew that I was able to, like, really challenge everybody so that we can, we can kind of capture everything in camera and not have to sometimes find some of the beats in the editing. This is the Queenie, we call this the Queenie chase that we're shooting throughout London. And it still blows me away that they they allowed us to be so close to Buckingham Palace. It just shows the kind of uh, earned relationship we have with the government, I think, because I could guarantee you when we were shooting there in Fast 6, I wasn't being brought that close to Buckingham Palace. But I think having this us being our, our second time shooting in the UK, we definitely had uh, a much, and I wouldn't say better, but I think we've kind of earned our way into locations that I think weren't available to us the first time around. Local seller, huh? 
She wouldn't happen to be wearing a stolen necklace, would she? He paid well. What was I supposed to do? This is also another kind of great day for us on production, just to be able to get in there and, and work with Helen and Vin. And obviously the scene is, you know, the, for it to happen in this chase, but really it is her connecting with Dom. She's kind of the, the, the mastermind in many ways. And she's she's always kind of also testing Dom and, and a lot of the characters. And so to be able to do that in the middle of a chase, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because Helen showed up and, she wanted to really understand driving the noble and uh she was able once she i mean she learned it so fast and she never kind of lost continuity so she was able to like really mimic the driving through london as she was delivering the scene it was unbelievable you know and and actually it was interesting because you know growing up as a, a laker fan I was always kind of fascinated by the colors and it was growing up, it was called foreign blue, which is the, this kind of dark blue, purple and gold. And I, I remember learning that that was kind of the Royal colors. Those are the Queens colors. And, and so I thought, Oh, here's great. We get to finally get the thing that I love as a kid and I can, I can match it. And ultimately, you know, it, I couldn't quite find the right purple. I think the purple on the noble, is actually a bit more purple than I like. It was kind of more the 2000 Lakers color as opposed to the color I was looking for, which is the kind of 1980s Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar purple. Dominic Toretto, tell me, why is the best rule always forbidden? You should know. Here we had this is kind of a bonus moment with Cardi's character where she greets Dom. It was a lot of fun shooting it. And ultimately I felt like, you know, it was better to kind of hide her in the, in the crowd and reveal her in the back of the truck. Well, financier. But you know, my dad, he's a dictator. So we're not talking regular people. Dua and, uh, and here we have Otto. He is kind of the, financier for Jacob and Sue. We actually have this um, backstory for Sue. He was the boy named Sue, um, the Johnny Cash song. We had this whole thing and we even shot it. It was awesome. But ultimately it just got to be too long. And it was one of the, um, it was one of the, the heartbreaks for me because I love, I love it when, when movies, when you have these characters that are kind of they're there as, you know, quote unquote, like muscle or whatever purpose. And you, you realize there's a whole history and there was a whole backstory to these characters. And, and we definitely had a lot of fun with both Otto and Sue and, and the Sue thread ultimately kind of got cut down and it was kind of, I, I had it for a long time, but it was the right choice, but I just had so much fun with Martin on that. He's long gone. All I see is the same scared little kid that killed our father. It's your mistake. This spy game, this is my world. And this is, you know, obviously the first real kind of face-to-face -face meeting between Dom and Jacob. 
I think in this scene, we actually had a lot more to it. And in the in the kind of earlier drafts, I actually was playing with the uh, flashbacks where it explained a lot more of where Jacob was during even the events of the first Fast and Furious. And we had this amazing shot where I took footage from the first Fast and Furious that handed off into a young Jacob who was in the crowd when Dom was racing Brian. And it was an expensive, extensive shot that took us months and months to prepare. And Peter Chang, our VFX supervisor, did an amazing job. And, and as we were working on that shot, it was so good that it really took me out of the movie. So much so that I ultimately cut it from everything because I didn't want the audience to be taken out that much. And I think ultimately it's the right call and, and it's better here because it's kind of referenced to as opposed to kind of shown. And again, I, I hope that there's there's going to be other opportunities for us to really kind of explore that chapter. And I think we'll be able to do it in a much better way than and to be able to, to kind of cram it into, you know, this film. And here I thought my dad was a pain in the ass. But your family is a train wreck. Well, now that your brother's finally out of the game, it's time we go to Edinburgh. Get the second piece, maybe do a little sightseeing, huh? Otto, with his father issues, I had so much fun with Dua kind of working on, on his relationship, and we had numerous conversations so that when we were doing this scene, you really get his relationship with his father. And he was so much fun to kind of to work with and build Otto because I think very easily he could just be a stock character. But I think if you watch the film, you could see that like he's a fully developed character and I, it's something that I enjoy. So here is Cardi's scene, and this is really a big Easter egg for, for the fans. You know, I think the, the fans that maybe has not followed the, the Fast saga, they'll know her as someone that's working for with Queenie that was probably in a white dress that was planted in there to help Dom out. But she's actually the sister of Kara. Kara is the Han's significant other in Fast 4. And they used to, uh, in DR, they would steal gas for the people. So there was a whole connection there that I talked to Vin about. And so now Cardi has been introduced in our franchise as a character that's basically been around um, since, you know, Fast 4. So there's an, you know, I'm hoping that there will be an opportunity for us to explore that, that character more. So here we're, we're introducing this kind of new element to Han, you know, to explain kind of his absence and, and how he's alive. This is something that we worked on a lot. And I have to say, it kind of felt poetic, this whole justice for Han, because when I, you know, when I left, I didn't engage on any of the uh, other films. It was uh, during the screening of um, my indie movie, Bear Luck Tomorrow, at the Egyptian where I think the fan um, during the Q&A brought up this idea of, or this movement of justice for Han. And when I heard it, I was 
totally baffled. To this day, I have no idea why the whole Shaw showing up at the barbecue at the end of eight, like, was handled that way. I mean, you know, when I left, Shaw had killed Han, and he was the antagonist to Dom and the family. And, you know, I, I don't mind when, you know, when characters can maybe show up and they can change sides. I think it's part of Fast Universe, but I just never, you know, when I came back, there was, you know, after kind of the discovering this whole Justice for Han movement, I even sat and talked to the studio and I said, what, what happened? And nobody could give me an answer, you know? And so I think it ultimately was great because to be able to come back, I felt like it was something that needed to be addressed. And, you know, I think part of the gift of it is that if they actually did handle it correctly, then Han would probably stay dead, you know? And so I think, you know, for, for whatever reason, the way it was handled, you know, really for me needed some answers and because of that, I was able to kind of come back and be part of the solution in, in, in answering that. And by answering that, you know, I was able to bring Han back. So it actually ends up being kind of a win-win. This moment here, you know, in Tokyo with Han, it was such a great moment. It is, again, one of those things where in writing it, developing it, I knew what we were doing, but it wasn't until we were shooting and you see it through the lens and you see Han's face that, like, I got chills, you know? And it was something that, you know, as we kind of get into more of the film, I'll try to kind of share a little bit more of the kind of uh, reasons and the process of bringing him back. We're hitting this Edinburgh sequence, and uh, this actually is an amazing location. And it was actually pivotal, not just on the logistical level, but creatively, you know, we take this train from London to Edinburgh and it ended up being kind of a defining moment in the development of the film. When I first came back, I actually wasn't planning on bringing Han back alive. We were gonna address justice for Han, but he was gonna stay dead. So a lot of this stuff was gonna be handled in, in the flashbacks. But it was actually the train ride to Edinburgh that Jeff Kirschenbaum, who was an executive that, you know, when I started Tokyo Drift, he was executive on it. And we kind of grew up together making the fast movies. And then we both left the franchise. And so when I came back, I felt it was important to have him be a part of this. So he became a producer on this film and he's a big part. He's, you know, he, he, he's one of the kind of architects. I consider him a partner on the building of this franchise. And it was on that train ride that we started talking about Han. And I think one of the things that was great about Kirsch is that his kind of enthusiasm for this franchise 
has no boundaries. And I would say 99 out of 100 times, he would say the most outrageous things and he would get crapped on and laughed at by me, mostly by me. And I love crapping on and laughing at Kirsch. But one out of 100, this guy will say something that maybe doesn't even make sense in the, in the beginning, but ultimately becomes a brilliant idea, which is this idea of justice for Han is not just a justice for Han. Let's bring him back for real. And I have to admit, like, I, I get it. You know, I, I don't I don't get up in the morning and say, hey, let's uh, let's just bring dead characters back. I don't want to do that as a rule. And I think even when on this train ride, when Kirsch brought up the idea, I thought it was nuts, you know. But for some reason in the, I think the second or third hour of the train ride, it started settling in. And, and then we started discussing about the kind of what we were working on with the backstory of Han and how he could actually be alive. And it actually made more sense. But it was a very organic way of, for me, that morning, I did not wake up thinking that Han was going to be alive to, you know, this train ride by, t by the time we landed in Edinburgh that, oh my God, Han is alive. So it, 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 was, a, it was an amazing ride and uh, it was very inspired, you know. It just kind of shows, you know, it reminds me of kind of spirit of Fast and Furious. It's to never fully just reject things because, you know, just because. And it's never to condescend on anything. And the fact that I have this amazing group of people where we can say the most ridiculous things, but feel there's enough support where, you know, yeah, we can laugh at each other, we can crap on each other, but to be able to take it seriously at some point, it's really rare. I could say that, you know, in Hollywood, you know, where you'd think that creativity is embraced, it's actually very much something that you have to fight for, you know? I mean, a lot of times there's so many agendas when it comes to budgets and there's all these things. And, and a lot of times when you make these big tentpole sequels, the tendency sometimes with success is that, well, we know what works, so let's keep doing the same thing. And so to be able to be a part of this process where we're saying, no, we were successful in the last film because of A, but I think it's potentially yielding, you know, something that we've earned. Let's try something brand new. It sounds kind of logical, but it's also like in the, I think in the business sense, it's a scariest thing to, to always kind of be exploring and trying new things. And I think that's what I love about doing these films. And I, this is what I love about being with Universal and the group of people that I work with in that, you know, we are never trying to do the same thing. If we were, I, I wouldn't be making the fifth movie in this franchise, you know? And I, I feel like every one that I've done have been completely different thematically and also in what we're trying to explore. And I think that, you know, for me on this one is to embrace kind of what we've evolved to, you know, kind of the kind of over the top action and just even, you know, taking, you know, ideas and, and it's almost like become science fiction, but at the same time being able to explore and go back what started it all. I feel like that balance was such a new thing for us that, you know, if we are able to earn the kind of emotional connection, the emotional exploration on a very real level, then it allows us, gave us license to then push 
the ridiculousness of the tone of the action. But I felt like if we weren't able to do that, then we wouldn't be able to really kind of evolve our action. Here you have, I'm just going to point out, that's the, uh, that's my son and all the kids. I think Jordana's son, JJ Perry, Samantha Vincent. It's become kind of a tradition for us to have these kids in the middle of these big action set pieces. My gut is that it's going to keep growing just because when we started, there were no kids. And then I think Fast Five was the first time where my son was uh, a year and a half old. And I was doing the vault scene and I, I wanted to kind of inject a little bit of humanity in there. And I thought, oh yeah, you know, what about like a young kid? And I thought, oh yeah, I have one of those. And then that's when we started. And then it just kept, you know, for me, it's, it's always good to kind of connect with humanity in the middle of these set pieces. So it's become a tradition for us. The Ramsey driving scene, it was a, one of those great character threads that I loved, you know? I think to me, I remember talking about this character, she wasn't named Ramsey, but we were talking about this kind of computer hacker character all the way back to Fast Five. And then when I showed up, she was, Natalie had taken over and they birthed the character. But it, it was interesting to me meeting with her, it was very clear that like, there was so much to her that hasn't been explored. So. It was just a great opportunity to be able to kind of introduce something new. You know, the fact that I always love meeting, not savants, but even geniuses and seeing that they are human beings. You know, she could hack everything in the world, but the price of that is that she's never driven a car. And that, that was very exciting for me to be able to explore that. And I think it's unlocked something that now I, I feel like I have a better sense of Ramsey and there's going to be a lot more that we get to explore. Sending you new pickup location. Oh, I've got it. I'm headed to you now. And here we can see the, the brother fight. You know, there's something that I wanted to be in close quarters. And it was something that I felt like tonally it needed to capture anybody that's ever had siblings where, you know, you can fight strangers, but something about blood where it always feels a hundred times more intense and that kind of like evolved to them going through like you know walls and windows and everything and this is really more of just 
an exercise of trying to articulate for anybody that's that doesn't have siblings you know if we were able to manifest that into an action sequence in a fight what that would be and and the scale of that it really was not even the physical kind of objects and things that you know we were designing it was more of the feel for it so it was it was kind of a great exercise of doing that and giving it its its own kind of tone that's different than the rest of the sequences This is kind of the integrating the craziest thing that we're introducing, which, you know, I know people talk about going to like space. I actually think that after talking to NASA scientists and everything, I actually felt like there's much more sound science going to space. This whole magnet tech actually didn't start off as like me going, hey, let's go and explore magnets. It actually, you know, we were doing this scout and I was actually in Hamburg, Germany, and I was interested in particle accelerators. And I remember going underground and uh, walking it with these scientists and they were talking to, to me about particle accelerators and the magnet tech that it took. And actually it, that's what kind of inspired this whole thing. And so I started asking questions about magnets and uh, you know, I think we ended up in some restaurant having our lunch and with pints of beer, it kind of, evolved into from uh, particle acceleration into magnets. And so that actually was the origin of this whole thing. And I started asking about the magnet techs and everything. And I think with everything, it was always started off in reality. And then I think the questions I had was more of just kind of aspiration of that technology. And it just kind of set me off. And I think that was kind of the uh, origin of kind of what we were going to do in this film. And it became, I wouldn't say like fiction. I was still based on something. I think a lot of it was a kind of in theory and then creatively, you know, I just took license to it and we just kind of evolved it. So at the end of the day, I actually think that, you know, it's interesting because it was based on something that was science. And then we just, through questioning, it kind of evolved in something that maybe one day science will catch up to. I don't know, but it was something we were playing with. You're the good guys. Me, I'm Luke freaking Skywalker. Are you sure about that? I mean, I get the daddy issues, but... Look at what you've built. Really? Luke? You're right. No, I'm more of a Han Solo. No. And here, this scene between Cypher and Otto, it is one of those, again, is one of those really kind of scary things to conceive because if you see the earlier scenes she started clocking Otto as her ticket way out and here we needed a scene where she was going to be able to kind of pull him in but not only kind of destroy kind of his being his philosophy but knowing that he's going to come back and open up that door and we had to do that in that one quick scene but I on the day working with both actors, I just felt like, you know, without them, there's no way we were able to have a chance. So, you know, it's again, one of those kind of gymnastics of trying to make sure 
that maybe you don't get it in the first bounce, but you know, when the twist and reveal happened, it will all make sense. And I felt like Charlize and Tua just did an amazing job in that scene. There is literally zero industrial or weapons-grade electromagnets I can find that are this powerful. Look at the full strength level here. It's crazy. Yeah. Watch this. So, you know, this kind of going back to the magnet tech, <laughs> we have actually spent way more time in a lot of the tech that was kind of based on science and it just kind of evolved into kind of our world. And I know I spent way too much time. I think even in shooting it, there was a lot more logic into the magnets. Ultimately, they're still there if you freeze frame it, but it's actually in the edit. I decided not to like really spend too much time on it, but it's there. And we, we actually, in, in the construction of it, there's actually a logic to everything that was happening. And so this is another one of those scenes that, you know, in writing it, you're like, yeah, at some point, if Han's alive, he's going to meet the family. And it wasn't until this moment where Dom embraces Han, he basically gives the okay to not only the characters, but to the fans to say Han is back. But at the same time, trying to kind of build in this, uh, the triangle of this idea of family through Jacob you know, to me, that was a, that was, yeah. we needed every piece to work. How you doing? Staying out of trouble? <laughs> of course not. Well, at least you were honest, and that's the most important thing. And here, we have the scene. Uh, this is also another scene that stayed in for a while. And it was to check in with uh, little Brian. I'll tell you what. And no. shooting it on the day, we had all these takes and I was honing it with Vin and ultimately I told him, I said, look, I'm not going to cover this. I'm not going to edit this. So we're going to have to get this in one take. I remember the scene started off two and a half minutes and I just kept working with Vin on it. I said, look, I am not going to do coverage on this because there's like a sincerity. There's a, a real time emotional connection we had to have with Dom and little Brian and Vin just was on his a game. He ultimately got it down to what we wanted to, and it was very sincere. Ultimately, I ended up cutting it out of the film because it's something that I felt like was so inherent, it worked so well in the beginning that we didn't need to do that. Can you just be quiet for one minute? We made plans. We had dreams. So what's our next adventure after this? You know, here we're seeing the the flashback to the connection between Giselle and Han, you know, this is on Fast 6, and, you know, we were always very conscious that Giselle and Han, every time we had a chance with them on screen, was going to get closer to Tokyo. And so it was really fulfilling to be able to actually come back and revisit that moment, because when we shot Fast 6, we definitely planted it there, and it was going to launch Han into Tokyo, but to be able to kind of bring that back into the justice for Han, it felt very appropriate. You can lose an asset at any time. Bullet, knife, wire, 
but I never thought I'd lose her. And Kurt here, you know, the connection between Mr. Nobody and Han through Giselle, it was also another thread that I hope one day we'll be able to explore because it was so much fun kind of uh, working on this thread because when Giselle was introduced to the fans, it was actually Fast Four with Braga and they were doing the tunnel runs. And I've always felt like her connection was actually through Mr. Nobody when he was still with the CIA. And so I remember thinking that, and again, Mr. Nobody was a character that we had talked about before I left. And then Kurt Russell showed up and I remember meeting Kurt when I wasn't doing the fast, we were actually looking at another project and he ended up talking about Mr. Nobody and his philosophy and his history. And I was like, this is so great. And then when I saw the films, it wasn't in there at all. And so it was great to be able to kind of come back and connect with Kurt again and then actually bring that to life and know that there's a lot more to it. I was so excited to go. I forgot my raincoat. So I went back in. At first, I didn't see it. By the time I looked out the window... You know, L is another really exciting character. Anna was, uh, you know, we did a global search. And when I saw the, the audition from Anna, I knew that, you know, that was our L. It's funny because doing these auditions, they're always kind of NDAs and we'll always take the names out because we don't want to have any spoilers out in the world. And uh, L actually was the code name for the character but when I saw the, the audition with Anna, the way she said L was so, like something about it felt so right that I actually changed the character's name and made it L. So it actually was supposed to be the letter L, but I just really loved the way she delivered the character's name. And so we ended up changing her name to L. He knew I'd always be a target, so he taught me how to survive. We became a family. Again, this is something in the whole Justice for Han. There was a lot more kind of worked out that I hope one day we'll be able to bring it to life for the fans. So I'm really kind of excited for right now. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, say anything. I feel like whatever is out there in Fast 9 is there for the fans to, to talk about and to explore. And... Uh, you know, I think when it's appropriate, we'll be able to bring that story to life. But I am kind of like excited for people to to see what, you know, which dots they connect and, and what is the backstory that they can come up with and to share. But you got killed in a car crash, huh? Mr. Nobody had a way of making things look real. <laughs> This is also one of those moments where I was telling Kurt and uh, Sung, you know, we ended up like finding the perfect location and uh, it took like a while to kind of light, but there was not going to be any coverage. It was just going to be this moment that it was going to be Mr. Nobody and, and Han sharing that screen. And it had to say everything about the absence of, of Han in that world. It's some kind of hidden subroutine his system follows. So coming up here, this scene, this is one of those scenes that 
I would say making these movies or making anything, it's the toughest thing to shoot because you have, first of all, you have the whole cast, you have all these moving parts, you have all these soldiers with guns, and you're trying to earn this like moment of intimacy between two characters. Sorry, Mia. And this was like really the second scene we shot with John. And uh, it was interesting. I could tell in the morning, you know, Vin really wanted to get into the meat of it. And usually when you shoot these scenes, you know, you shoot kind of the wides and you go in. And I was going on set and Vin came up to me and he said, what do you think? And as soon as he said, what do you think? I knew what he was saying. And I went to the crew and I said, we're not going to cover it the way we usually cover this. Like, I want to get to the intimate moments between these two brothers. So we actually shot this not in a conventional way. It was done actually on this kind of fluid master between Jacob and Dom. And then we just kept working on it until we felt we got it. And once we had it, then I was able to go back and do the coverage and shot, shoot the wide shot. And it was, you know, it was the right way to, to approach this, especially with John Cena, this him being his second scene. The thing about Dad dying was he didn't have to watch what you became. Never deserved the Toretto name. This is part of the Fluid Master here that, that it was the first shot that I did for the whole scene. And he was amazing he was fearless and part of it was you know he was going to reveal this big secret that he's been holding all these years that you know it was going to fundamentally change everyone's point of view dom and mia letty everybody that was there and so john i could see him on that day he just used it he used the, the, even the kind of the awkwardness of going in and shooting that close-up first, a shared close-up with Vin and the whole cast with all these ex everybody, you know, and to be able to fully engage and not like let any of the artificial elements get to him. That was an amazing, it's not even a performance, but it's an amazing feat for John and also Vin. And it really set the tone for the scene. And, uh, you know, it's just an example of, you know, there's no right or wrong way to make films. And sometimes you just have to kind of go with your gut. And uh, in this case, it really made a huge difference. It's funny, I think a lot of times how you get characters out of like binds when you watch movie, it's like, oh, it's like uh, two seconds right here. It's like, uh, you know, Tej <laughs> this knob. But to be able to do that, hopefully on multiple le levels, I mean, this thing took, it took like eight months of writing ourselves into a corner of saying, okay, well now Jacob's got L and he's leaving. And now he's leaving all the soldiers there to probably kill Dom and the family. How do they get out? 
And so it, it's like in the writing process, it's always great because you're like, oh, great. We, we basically, you know, we give Jacob a true win. And now how are we going to be able to get Dom and the family out? And so to be able to figure out the magnet, I mean, it, it was, it's funny. Every time I watch it, I start like heating up because I, I get drawn into the kind of the struggle and the challenge of how to get these characters out. And, and it's such a great, like, once you get it, it feels like you're able to solve all the world's problems, you know? But then when you, people watching the movie, it's like, it's two seconds, boom, they're gone. You know, so... Here, this is another sequence that, you know, for us is kind of a first time, which is actually seeing Dom be like really defeated. And obviously he's doing it to try to save Letty and, and, and the family, but it's always kind of gratifying to find new beats for us to explore, you know? And, um, and I think we actually never had anything like this where Yes, it's a big fight scene with Dom and all these guys, but for him to really be doing it to try to save his family, even if it's ultimately about giving up, uh, you know, his own life, it was great. I thought, again, if you watch it closely, there's shades of Dom in this film that we had never experienced. And this sequence coming up, to me, is another example of that. You know, I think just Vin really just brought it and he was able to go places that, you know, I think that even if we tried in the other films, it wouldn't have been right. It had to be earned. Cars like this are immortal. Here you see Vincent. This is actually Vin's son. And uh, it was one of those amazing moments where I knew we were going to have a young Dom Toretto. And they actually started scouting for it. And I'm looking through all the auditions. And at one point, you know, it, it dawned on me that, well, why don't we just uh, try Vin's son? You know, and it just became this perfect fit. And Vincent did such an amazing job. And here again, this is a Dominic Toretto that, you know, for me, I, I have never gone to that place with Vin. And I know, I know for sure that like Vin's been kind of was always keeping that. And this was one of those earned moments for us. And it was such a great time on set to be able to earn that and earn that together. You know I'm good for it. It's crazy. You see that door with Jack. You know, we shot this on a soundstage. But as soon as I walked on that little set and I saw that door, I was in the Toretto house. I feel like, you know, just even as a viewer, a fan of this franchise, sometimes it's like these little cues that really just kind of brings out all these feelings. Seeing that door brought me back to 
me being in film school and watching the first Fast and Furious film at the AMC Santa Monica, you know, and then all the same time shooting, then shooting that in that house on Fast Four with you know Brian and Mia. And here, this is the moment of connection. And I just thought, you know, JD and Finn and Vin, even though we shot it, you know, in different environments, it was such a great connection. And a lot of it was this moment of, for Jacob, of deciding and that pressure of not knowing what's right or wrong, but ultimately doing it and, and keeping his word to his dad. And for Vin and Dom to be able to process that, again, it, it's uncharted territory. And I'm so kind of proud that, that we're able to kind of earn that in this new chapter. It's interesting, you know, this sequence was actually really a challenge to kind of put together because, you know, a lot of times you watch films and there's underwater sequences and it's great, but it's really hard to kind of capture that. And so, like, we had to find this tank and Michelle was just kind of fearless. She jumped in and it was great. And then Vin had to come and we had to shoot all the underwater sequences and uh, it was kind of like mind bending. And what I, I was trying to kind of change the kind of the access and everything. But ultimately, it was great. Even though it was only like maybe less than 10 seconds, I felt like we did it right. And both Vin and Michelle's commitment to it, like really just helped those moments. Is this who we are? <laughs> And this is, in a way, this is kind of this earned moment between Letty and Dom. We really only had various moments throughout the movie for them to kind of get to work out everything they've gone through. But what I love is that it wasn't about them working it through together. It needed Letty to go on this journey with Mia and then Dom to go through this journey with Jacob for them to kind of reconnect and to have, to not only share that moment, but, but to have a, a sense of, at least a sense of what their future is together. Not remotely, we'd have to do it physically. 50 miles above ground while the satellite is in orbit. Orbit? We need help. Otherwise, we have no chance. We do it ourselves. It's where we've been that got us this far. No, 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 no. Do y'all not understand? Clearly y'all don't. Because if you did, you'd be pissing your pants like a normal person. Orbit. That's out of space. That's another level. What are we gonna do? Hijack a space shuttle? Put rockets on our backs? This is where, you know, we're, we're about to head into our third act action sequence. And, you know, I know a lot of people maybe through the years joked about, like, what's next? Space? You know? And... And that's something internally we were always talking about. And, and there goes my to be honest with I wasn't sure if we we're ever going to be able to do it. 
And it became a, a very kind of organic way because when I finally committed to this kind of existential thread with Roman Tej and Ramsey, as I was working on it, it felt like we needed something that is not of this world. And that's pun intended to really kind of pay off that thread. And I, I remember even kind of working on it. And when we got there, I called Vin up and I drove to his house. And uh, I remember sitting down and he looked at me and goes, so this is the one, right? And I said, I think so. And we both kind of laughed because, you know, it was something that we, we always like would sit there and like throw the craziest ideas of what we can do and explore. But I don't know if we ever thought like, oh, yeah, let's go to space on nine. It was just something that that became very um, kind of organic, you know, and and I even like for me personally, it actually had much more profound effect, you know, because to me, I always get the sense that when I talk to Vin, when we explore and we talk about stories about the journeys of, of our characters of Fast and Furious, I think we always start from a point that we're never supposed to be here. You know, like I, I remember growing up, being a filmmaker was, you know, when I would tell people it was like it was not a possibility. And I know that, you know, having gotten to know Vin very well, he went through the same thing, you know, and Michelle, same thing. You know, she was a Jersey girl and, you know, sung all of us. And somehow we all kind of found our way to, to each other, you know, like with, with Vin, it was about making this indie film and finishing it. And even though nobody believed in him, he got into Sundance and that's what Spielberg saw him and he went, got into Saving Private Ryan. He has his own story. My story is nobody believed in anything that I wanted to do. I ultimately did a credit card movie. I met Sung and got into Sundance and changed our lives and gave me a career, you know, and for Michelle it was just her exploration led her to girl fight and she would share stories with me where the fact that the filmmaker Karen she took a chance on someone new as opposed to an established actor and somehow we met each other and we we started kind of making these films that wasn't a given like I think when I joined Fast and Furious was not Fast and Furious today and for me to say for sure we're gonna have a sequel that was insane we had to earn it and then by earning it I got to work with Vin and Paul and Jordana and Michelle and and we just kept challenging each other, you know, and that's the spirit of Fast and Furious. And at the same time, there was no there was no IP. There's no comic book. It's not based on anything. It was whatever we wanted to do. And I think it was very clear for us from the beginning that we were never going to just do the same thing over and over. This was not going to be James Bond where it's the same character or characters that that just going to go through different adventures. We were going to honor these characters and that as they grow, we we're going to grow. And now you're seeing us, you know, these characters have gone together, had kids, and now we're doing these big action movies with our protagonists who actually have like kids at home, you know? And I think that's what's so unique about it. And to be able to kind of grow together and not be alone, you know, I, I can go all the way back to you know, meeting Tyrese on, on Annapolis and and getting to know each other. But we were so different then. And to be able to build that trust where now I can put him and, and Chris in a you know deep sea diving suit and say, you're going to attempt to go to space. 
that's meaningful to me, you know, and to us. And so going to space, it had all these profound meanings that I wasn't even really conscious of until we did it. Ready to go scuba diving in this old ass thing. Don't listen to it. We ready. We? Yes, I said we. I thought you was invincible. Let's see how invincible your black ass is after this. Punch it! Punch it! When we were shooting this and the Roman and Tej sequences comes a little later when they're talking about no one's going to believe us, right? It actually had a lot more meaning. And those were actually improvised. And when, when they said it, I really had this kind of emotional connection to it. And I felt like, okay, great. Because now that we're up here, we're going to definitely, that's going to be in the movie. Because we're never supposed to be here. You know, we're not supposed to actually be making Fast 9. And this was never supposed to be a franchise that was going to be like, you know, such a big part of Universal's legacy, you know? And so, yeah, to, so to be able to see the sequence actually, uh, it meant a lot more. And, you know, it is definitely a lot of fun. I, I would say that, you know, talking to the, the NASA rocket scientist, at first, he just thought we were crazy. But soon, I think he realized we weren't, trying to duplicate our space to outer atmosphere, we were actually really trying to figure out a real way to start. And so those conversations were awesome. It was, it started off with fuel, the amount of fuel that we would need. And it led us to the launching point where, you know, I knew we couldn't launch our, our characters from the ground. It just take too much fuel. So then we looked at the, uh, you know, Virgin Galactic and, and some of the kind of space shuttle uh, tests they did. And, you know, we realized if we uh, launch the, you know, the craft from higher altitude, it'll be a lot less fuel and actually has been done. So it was just about making sure that, you know, we had characters that that was trained in, in that discipline. So Earl and Sean and Twinkie actually felt very natural because these are characters that are kind of savants, you know, and as they kind of lived in the universe and us not checking in with them for the last, I don't know, 10 years, that they would naturally be, you know, very much into this idea of pushing kind of vehicles into new realms. And so anyway, I, it is crazy. I know that, you know, people have seen the trailer and they thought, oh my God, they're going to space. But I could tell you that I think aside from the polymer and, and some, some other things, it is actually very sound what we're doing. And we've had many, many really great conversations with literally rocket scientists to get all that going. I think if anything, the, the magnet tech is actually maybe a little more further out, you know, and I, 
I just took the principle of a lot of stuff that they're working on in that technology and we just kind of build off of that. And yeah, I think a lot of times you see the knobs being turned right there, which is to repel or to attract. But there are actually, if you look at Ramsey's computer, there are a lot more kind of specific kind of things that they're doing with the tech. And I, I shot it and actually ultimately, I just felt like it was gonna be more confusing in those cuts. So the tech is there. If you really look closely, it's actually there. We actually had uh, footage, but um, ultimately it just was not, I just felt like it was confusing people more. So I, I just kind of simplified it. And here we're seeing uh, Francis Naganu. It was one of the, these nice perks of doing these movies because I just get incoming calls from from people, and you know, one day it could be Cardi B, you know, it could be Bat Buddy, or it could be Francis Naganu. You know, just people saying, "Hey, we love the franchise. Can we be a part of it?" And I thought, "Okay, cool. Let me see." You know, and um, I remember it was actually I was on my way to the set, and we were well into shooting, and uh, I was just inspired one morning. I was listening to this Carpenter song, Top of the World, and for some reason it was the structure of the music that it was like a three-parter that really inspired me. And I started writing, and um, this whole sequence was written in that car. And so when we landed at the studio, I called second unit, and they were actually shooting in Tbilisi. And I told them the shots, and I started sketching it out, and I would email it to them. And they ended up shooting it, and that became the Nagano sequence. It was all done when I was in the car. And it's, it's a testament to kind of the, kind of the team that I have. We've had, now have this shorthand where certain sequences we plan for months and months, but then on the spur of the moment, when I get inspired, I can actually call them and, and plan that over the phone, and they can actually shoot it, and, and, and we can shoot all the interior stuff in London and uh, get it all done. So here, what you just saw was actually the improv sequence with Roman and Tej. It was one of those things that when I saw it, I, I knew it had to be in the film because it was never scripted, but it was a sentiment of we're never supposed to be here. And I know it's kind of done in a fun way, but I, I just love the delivery that Tyrese and both Chris in that moment gave. And it really kind of says it all for all of us. I think, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera, and it really captured the essence of and the spirit of Fast and Furious. And, and so it's one of those great kind of things that in film that I love is that sometimes you can plan and plan and plan. But if you do that enough, you get this spontaneous moments on the day that kind of outshines all the planning. That's what happens, the magic of filmmaking. Something you want to tell me, Otto? My bad. Satellite opening is actually going splendid. Oh, and by the way, I have a new business partner. Maybe you know her. Guess who's out of the box, Jacob? But I did try to warn you. You were never my competition. Otto, there's something you should know. Yeah, go on, lay down the dude. You're so here we have seen the intersection now of kind of this earned partnership between Otto and Cypher that was all done kind of off screen. And again, it goes all the way back to that Yoda Star Wars scene between them. I was so excited after we shot that, you know, as soon as I knew we had the, that scene in the can that I felt like, 
Okay, this beat is going to work. And again, these sequences are so complicated to put together, you know, it takes months and months to plan and then you location scout and you have to scan the location and they have to pre-visit and pre-visit and we have to go through stunts to make sure that, that they can execute everything that, that was planned. And here, you know, it, it looks like two cars, that actually was actually two stunts done at the same time, a cannon and a ramp. And this is a combination of, you're talking about at the end of the day, crew in Tbilisi in UK, and in, in post you have crew in India, you know, UK, Montreal, everywhere around the world to kind of make it all happen. It was a connection of, you know, this amazing crew of thousands across the world for us to be able to bring this to life. And this is one of the craziest moments of hitting that. And, and we actually did that practically. It was done in pieces, of course, but I was very proud that we were able to capture all that in camera, every beat of that. And here there's a, you know, I'm sure people watching it have, have questions about kind of the magnet how is it that the Supra is the only thing attached? And it actually, if you see all those things, those directional kind of magnetic force, we had <laughs> months and months of meetings about it. And uh, I actually, there is actually tech in there with that Mia does. But I remember seeing an earlier cut when I actually cut to her doing it. It brought on like, it was just an overload of, of Intel. And so... When I removed it, it just felt like it, it all made sense. But for people that are doing a deeper dive, I could tell you that there is a logic to that, that we, you know, had spent months developing. I mean, it's still there if you really look at it, but in the cut, it just made more sense for it to be simple. So here, you know, I have Anna shooting this crazy Gatling gun I think she had a lot of fun that day doing it, but it was a combination of us shooting interior in London and then sending her to Tbilisi to shoot that gun for real. And a lot of people, they asked me about this sequence, you know, and as you can see, like, there's no way we can duplicate that in the visual effects world. So I was giving notes and I just kept asking them to throw more cars you know, at, we call it the armadillo. Th that's something that we built from ground up. And so, you know, my note for them was always to keep throwing more cars at it. So I was very happy the way the sequence turned out. You know, it was one of those things where you just, you can't, like this, you cannot duplicate that in the visual effects world. Ready, drop back and line up with the front tires. What? If we can't slow it and we can't punch through, so where we're coming up to is this pull. And then this is actually this shot right here where the car hits the windshield. That was one of the happy accident. We threw a camera on there and uh, it just had this amazing 
moment where it captures the car hitting the windshield and uh i think it, it kind of delayed us a little bit but it gave us really great coverage that i ultimately was able to kind of work into the uh the movie and the, the wire gag here it seems pretty simple i think for for anybody you know it's just it's probably five seconds of a moment but again it took so much time we had cannons poles and, and it was all the amazing stunt team and usually you know you do one of these it's a big deal but to do a multiple vehicles like this it is a huge undertaking and again I, I just give the crew so much credit you know they there's never any hesitation everybody was always in to, to do something new even if it's just a small beat like that and so for, for this beat of the flip you know we we actually had to build like so many different rigs to do that and, and one of just for the head of the armadillo and then actually for for a lot of this we had to capture in camera just for reference and it's something that it was it was so complicated just because there was three different lighting sequences to try to get all that done but we were able to capture a lot of the stuff practically even if it was kind of used for reference let's power up these magnets and fry it take our time I have to say, I think this coming up here with uh, Chris and, and Tyrese, to, to put them in the most ridiculous outfits and to be in this ridiculous vehicle, in this ridiculous situation, and for them to really kind of connect on an emotional level, oh my goodness, it, I'm so proud of them. I would say with everything that I've done with them, this is my most proud moment with them because they're... You know, they're showing up. They look like minions. I have them, like, hanging from the set, you know, for hours and hours. And then they had to deliver this kind of existential monologue where both of their kind of philosophies kind of converge. And that, you know, Tej, who's always driven by math and science, is basically saying that it's an impossibility. It's one in a million. And then for Roman, who's basically the dreamer, saying... Well, if it's one in a million, why not? Let's go for it because we we're never supposed to be here. And it says a lot about like us as a franchise and us as a kind of family, you know, in front and behind the camera. And I can, you can hear it in, in Tyrese's performance. It really captured that, you know? And uh, I remember thinking about rewriting it and, you know, just as an exercise. And then I thought, no, it doesn't matter whatever, you know, I write or rewrite. Whatever was captured in that moment between Tyrese and Chris really says it all for, for us. And for us to be, you know, doing this crazy action sequence and then getting into that kind of emotional moment for all of us, to me, that's like the secret weapon a lot of times to be able to surprise people. And I think people a lot of times think, the surprises in the craziness in the action but for me it's always kind of the emotional moments that we're able to capture we did it let's go yes! <laughs> <laughs>
Not bad, man. Not bad at all. We're about to hit the sequence here where, for the first time, you know, I ended up taking out this huge kind of action beat. And this is not in their cut, but is I love it in the extended cut because it took us months and we shot this practically. We have, we know, we went through simulations, we went through all these things. And it was a combination of cars going through buildings and CG, you know, simulations of, of a crumbling building and stuff. And I still love it. But ultimately, I just felt like it wasn't contributing to the emotional connection, which is this next beat of Dom and Cypher. And I took it out, and but I still am really, I have to say, even though I felt like it was the right choice, I was bummed. But I think as a filmmaker, it gives me a lot of peace to know that we have this extended cut. It was always, I think in conception, it needed to be in there. But I think, you know, ultimately, we just had so much. I felt like the right thing was to take it out. And then also just, again, you see that beat of Dom running through. That is actually one of the hardest sets. It took us weeks to build. It was on this uh, 360 rotating set just for those couple seconds. And that's what's so, like, to me, I'm still blown away that we're able to do that. And the, the amount of care that, that we can do, this is still something that I wake up every morning and I'm, I'm so kind of happy and excited to be part of, you know, the temple cinema. You just can't do this anywhere else in the world. You know, to be able to wreck over 200 cars, to come up with crazy ideas and then, and then have this amazing crew bring it to life. And to be able to use every tool available to even do this, you know, right here with the jump to be able to start practically and then go all the way using every tool to tell the story. So coming up here with Cypher, this is probably the beginning of something that I'm really excited to kind of explore with both Vin and Charlize. And this is the, I'll point this out as one of those uh, luxuries you know, for the first time, I allowed myself to think of it as a final chapter so that we can have scenes like this. A lot of the credit goes to Vin and the, and the studio because I've always wanted to only treat every film, every chapter as its own journey. And I didn't want to like engage. I want to earn the next chapter. But Vin talked me into thinking of it as we've earned this final chapter and fast nine is really the first film of the you know of the three so it allowed me to be able to kind of explore things and, and have scenes like that with cypher which is suggesting that there's more to come this is the one that you'll film you know dad wasn't perfect and then of course here this exchange it harkens back to the the heart and soul of the franchise of the first Fast and Furious and and even though you know Brian O'Connor's not physically part of this film and journey 
this was a, it was very much an effort to always be conscious that he is part of this universe. And anytime we can, you know, have moments that helps the audience connect with him and to know that he's still in this universe, it's really important. And this was one of the great kind of finds. It was, again, very organic and earned, but it's also very much part of the DNA of where we all came from. So we're, we're about to get into this kind of wrapping up this crazy chapter of going into, I know we're saying space, like here it's space, but I can officially tell you that it was, uh, it was outer atmosphere. It wasn't until they pushed that NOS that took them into space, which is way further. And so they've been drifting for a while. And, you know, the minion joke actually came from me trying to figure out if there's any way of them coming up with a spacesuit with no time. And I was talking to a rocket scientist and it ultimately came into this idea that, you know, deep sea exploration diving suits are very close to uh, astronaut suits. And so the idea that they blow up, that's all kind of based on real science. And here we are in, in, in the racetrack and this bad bunny track was amazing. He actually sent us the track and I loved the song and I didn't know where to put it. And uh, I think once we tried it in the scene, it really gave it so much more meaning. And it was just, again, I, I feel so lucky. You know, when I first joined the franchise, people weren't sending us tracks to try. And now we have all these amazing artists that are just kind of sharing with us, you know, materials that they've created. And when we were able to find these amazing connections it just makes me realize how far we've come and the fact that it wasn't always like this and it was something that that we've earned together this moment here i felt like it was so important to have because you know when we talk about kind of time travel the idea that we were able to explore two timelines and finally you know, we were able to have this kind of temporal and physical space converge into one. I was so excited to have this, but it was also able to kind of wrap this chapter up completely in a way that it suggests a lot more that that's happened, obviously. But at the same time, for Fast 9, this connection, it was so important to me. And I'm so glad we were able to achieve it. And so the Toretto house, you know, under construction, that was something that I also wanted to earn our way to. Even though they were kind of living in that farmhouse when we first find them, I always knew our goal was to kind of earn our way back to the Toretto house and to be able to have our barbecue. I'm sure when people saw the trailer, they expected Han to be with Sean and Twinkie and Earl. And I I love the fact that for the first time they see each other is actually in this moment of the film, that they actually weren't connected at all and that they were able to kind of find their way to each other and to kind of be introduced to Elle, their new member. 
And, uh, you know, Leon Santos, we actually, it's also something that I really was excited to do was to see how they met Dom in that flashback sequence. And it was awesome to get Don Omar in this present timeline to be able to get him and everybody together. It just meant so much. It has so much more value. Again, I, I, I know I've said this so many times during this commentary, but there's a lot of times in writing and understanding kind of the magnitude of certain things. But then there's a difference between that and then showing up on the day with all the, the actors, with the whole cast. And it, it really kind of elevates it to another emotional level that I think on a cerebral sense, writing it, you understand. But until you get there and you shoot it and you're in that location in the Toretto backyard, you truly feel it. I think Daddy has a question for you. You ready to say grace, kid? But I don't know what to say. Oh, it's easy. Here, obviously, little Brian, you know, joining the barbecue, the family barbecue is significant because it, it also suggests that, you know, he's going to be at many more barbecues. Little Brian's ready to say grace with us. I think that the empty chair and I remember sitting there with the set decks and, and trying to find the right color to match for Brian. And then at the same time, like having Brian show up at the barbecue with his skyline for anybody that's been part of this franchise, I just felt like that was the right way to, to approach his presence in this franchise, but, but hopefully doing it in a respectful way. Again, you know, I, I think it was so gratifying to be back, but I think more importantly is to be back for the right reasons, you know, and, and to be able to do this film and to be inspired and to know that, uh, yes, this is chapter nine, but we still have all this new themes and arcs and threads to explore with our characters. And to do that, it, again, you know, I get the business of making these movies that when you're successful, you kind of have other opportunities, but on a creative level to know that we can do this, but be able to kind of have an environment where we're still challenging each other and trying new things. That to me is, is when uh, it's most fulfilling. And I think at the end of this, it's interesting because I knew we were going to have a tag. And I remember shooting Fast 6 and I was leaving. I knew I was leaving. And I was talking to Jason Statham for a long time about joining our, our franchise. And uh, I remember in London, I came up with the idea that he was going to be Shaw and that Shaw was going to be the one that killed Han. And... Uh, <laughs> And I called him and he was awesome. And he came in and did the scene. And then I finally officially decided I was leaving. I had a long talk with him. His first reaction was, if you're leaving, I'm leaving. I'm not gonna continue. And I said, no, 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 please, you should. I think there's still a lot more story to be had. And he obviously stayed, but I, I always felt bad because he came and did that scene for me. 
so it was it was great to be able to come up with the idea for this and it's in in many ways this is the continuation for us you know and to be able to call him and say hey can you come in here and do this tag and this tag is not about me leaving this tag is about connecting with Shaw and it's for us to make the promise that we're going to be able to you know not only work together but really dig into Shaw the way we wanted to and so it was a great call to make I didn't know what to expect and Jason was so excited and he was great and and it just again it made it feel like it was always meant to be you know and so on this day when we were shooting it it reminded me of shooting that tag on six but instead of kind of this feeling of leaving it was the opposite it was connecting it was reconnecting and the excitement of what's to come so it was a great way it was it was the last scene that we shot in this movie and to see him and han and the promise of fully doing justice for han right it was the best way to go out and so you know i'm excited to be back and i, I had such a great time reconnecting with everybody and i i look forward to concluding kind of our saga uh, with all these uh, great characters so thank you guys for your time for sitting through this and i look forward to exploring and finding the right next two films to to close out this saga for fast and furious
off the leash. I'm in the yard. I hit them hard. I'm in the dark. Diving and dancing and hitting real hard. In a push start. None of my engine in the back of the car. I took the tip and I'm pushing my limits. I'm going real fast. I'm going real far. Told her to put the boss of the business and stay in my bag and all the stars. Oh 